Hello and welcome to episode 40 of Journey to Organization. I'm Rebecca Saltzman from Balagan Bigan Personal Organization. And today I'm really happy to talk to you as always. I got a few really, really great informative voicemails this week and I was really happy to hear them. Um, one of the things, one of the uh, requests, questions I guess I got in my voicemail was that a lot of ladies really wanted to participate in my new class, Conquer Your Clutter. Um, they were interested in doing the challenges, um, but uh, they don't have access to the internet. So I am willing to do them over the phone, um, not through Akara Sabayas, but through a separate source. I am looking into how I could do the channel, do the, the challenges for Akara Sabayas listeners um, and Vezrat Hashem, I will have answers in the next few weeks. Um, if anybody um, knows how to run a phone line, please feel free to leave me a voicemail. Um, I'm looking for tips. Okay, <laughs> so that being said, if somebody does use the internet and they do want to sign up for my challenge group, you can go to RebeccaSaltzman.com and I am excited because it's starting in two weeks, Bezrat Hashem, and the response has been really, really great, and I'm really, really excited for it. Um, yeah, so I hope you could join me for that. Okay, so Chava from Brooklyn left me a few voicemails this week, and she said to me, thank you for helping me declutter, really getting rid of things that I don't like or need, and now I feel more stress-free, especially because she got rid of things that she didn't like that she got as gifts. Uh, she says they're still sometimes mess, but it's easier to clean up. And she now has more time to be with her family. Um, and she's busy with people instead of things. Now, she asked me for um, a suggestion on how to organize a phone book. So I'm going to get to that in a minute. But what she also said to me was that she really liked how um, I talked about breaking down the tasks. And she applied this to her daughter who has some difficulties. And she said that she started doing step-by-step -step things with her daughter. Um, even simple things like how many steps it takes to brush your teeth. Now, if you think about it, and I thought this was really a really great idea, Hava. So um, if you think about it, brushing your teeth has, I don't know, 15, 16, 20 steps or something like that. You um, first have to open the door to the bathroom and then you go into the bathroom and then you grab your toothbrush and then you turn the water on and run the, the toothbrush under the water and then you turn the water off and you put the toothpaste on the toothbrush and then maybe you rinse the toothbrush again so that means turn the water on rinse the toothbrush turn the water off then start brushing your teeth up and down side to side and then you have to rinse off the toothbrush so that means turn the water on again rinse off the toothbrush, then brush your teeth again. So you rinse out your mouth and then turn the water back on again and rinse again. And then finally turn the water off and put the toothbrush away. And that's a lot of steps. And that's the thing is like, even though we sort of think that these steps, especially on such a simple task, task are obvious they're not always obvious especially to children and especially when we're doing more difficult tasks so 
Um, really good for breaking it down for your kids too. Um, it's the same thing with, like I always say, with cleaning your room, especially for kids. Kids, when you say clean your room to your kids, what does that mean to them? You know, it means not that much. <laughs> they look at their room and they see the mess and they're like, where do I start? And so when you're specific with them and you can say, first, clean up the clothes on the floor, then put the toys in the white bin and then put the other toys in the yellow bin and, and finally make your bed or whatever it is. When you break it down in different steps for them, it's so much easier for them to follow. So it's true, not just when you're trying to manage your time better, but also when you're trying to attack a problem, when you break it down into smaller tasks, it's a lot easier to tackle the whole, the whole problem. So really, really great for you, Hava. Um, let's talk a minute for about organizing a phone book. I don't use a paper phone book anymore. I use my smartphone and um, that's all I use. I always have it with me. Uh, it's only a problem on Chavez, but the truth is, is on Chavez, I never really am looking up people's addresses or phone numbers anyways. So um, what I like to do in the phone book, so you're going to tell me, Chava, call me back and let me know if this is sort of what your problem is, because I wasn't exactly clear on exactly where the hangup is in your phone book. So when I meet somebody new, let's say I would meet Chava from Brooklyn, I would write in my phone book that I met Chava from Brooklyn and I know her from the Akara Sabayas hotline. Or let's say um, my pediatrician sends me to a specialist. Maybe I'll write down the specialist name. So for example, my kid's um, pediatrician, his name is Dr. Kogelman. And my son had to go to the allergist and his name is Dr. Pollock. So I might write in my phone, Dr. Shimon Pollock, allergist, referenced or referred from Dr. Kugelman. And this way, when I, I have a lot of ways to search in my phone. So I could search for Kugelman, I could search for Pollock, I could search for allergists, and I could search for any of those things. Same thing, like when my, one of my uh, children, when they wanna play with the mother, with a kid, and I need to speak to the mother, I always save the, the mom's name with whoever, with the kid's name and also with my kid's name. So let's say it's uh, Rotem, Mother to Shachar, Friends with Elki. Uh, whatever it is, like that's what I, that's how I save it in my phone. This way, if I'm looking for, for Rotem and I can't remember her name and I'll say to my daughter Elki, what's, uh, you know, which friend do you want to play with? And she says Shachar. I look up Shachar and Rotem comes up in my phone and or I could have just searched by Elki, which is my daughter's name, and I will see all the friends, all the people who are associated under the name Elki. And um, just a little side trick is I don't save my daughter, like her name in, in my phone is not saved as Elki so that when I search for other things, it doesn't you know come up. So this way, if I'm searching for Elki, um, it's e like I don't have to search through a long line of long list of things to uh, find, you know, that I'm looking for her. So that's how I, I organize uh, my cell phone. You could do this too if you use a paper um, phone book. It's just that we don't always 
there's no search function if you're using a paper book. So you should be mindful of that, but it will help you sort of jog your memory when you see the entry in your in your book. Oh, you see Rotem, mother to Shachar, are friends with Elki, then you'll know that, you know, who exactly it is. And there's a better, um, a better, more information associated with the entry. And therefore, it's easier to jog the mem- your memory. So if you just wrote Rotem, Elki's friend's mother, you might not know it might be harder for you. You can't put together which kid is which. And my daughter doesn't know all of her friends' mother's names. So this way, it's good, you know, putting in as much information as possible. So let's say your friend gives you the number of, you know, a person you want to meet. And you say, like, uh, you put it in with your friend's name plus the name of the person you're calling. Or, for example, when I save... There's a few pizza shops in my area that none of them, a few of them don't have pizza in the name of the store. So like, for example, there's Beta Pizza and there's Agvania. Both are pizza shops. If I want, when I save the pizza shop Agvania, I'll save it Agvania Pizza. This way I can search for pizza, or I might, when I'm storing them, let's say I'm doing it in paper, instead of storing the entries under Agvania, I might store all of the restaurant phone numbers in restaurants, or I might store them in the type of restaurant that they are. So for example, I might store them under pizza, or, so you have to decide what sort of makes sense to you. How does your brain function in recalling information? If your brain, if the only restaurants you ever call are the pizza shops, then by all means, store all the numbers under the word pizza, under P. But whatever it is, make it like consistent and always remember to do it. And that's how I used to manage the paper, but I actually, I really, really love having a digital phone book. It really, really helps me because the search function is really priceless. It's so helpful. It makes things a lot faster. Uh, Okay. A lady called me and said that she's helping her friend declutter. And she wanted to know if I had some tips for helping her um, help her friends. So first of all, call a kavod. That's really, really nice. Um... I really believe in the buddy system and being accountable, and I really think that it's a really great um, system to do. If you can't afford to work with an organizer, please, by, by all means, get a friend, someone who will hold you accountable every single day and or week and who will check in with you and be there for you. And um, uh, if... Basically, it's what I always say to you. Take everything out of the co- cabinet... And then as you're putting it back in, start to sort it and put it in grouping. So especially with clothes, just take it all out. Make sure that when you're decluttering the clothes, especially all the laundry is finished so that it's much easier and you can actually see everything or as much laundry as is possible to get done. It doesn't have to be put away. It just has to be clean so that you can put it away all at the same time. And... um, uh, you know, when you're putting it back, sort it into categories and and put it back in like items. So all the blouses together, all the skirts together, all the sweatpants together, all those things together so it's much easier to find. Um, wh- there was another uh, 
right. Give me one second, ladies. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Ellie Sheva called and she said she wants to know about zero waste makeup. She loves makeup and she can't live without it. Um, so I don't wear a lot of makeup. I am a one trick pony. <laughs> I love, I think one of the greatest makeup inventions ever is the, um, tinted moisturizer sunscreen. <laughs> so that's usually what I try to wear because here in Israel, especially you need to wear sunscreen, but also in America, you should be wearing sunscreen on your face every day because it's the part of you that's really exposed. The nose is one of the most common areas to get skin cancer and it's dangerous. Um, so they make special sunscreens for the face. Uh, it's one of the only um, things that I still really buy and I don't make myself because I just don't think that there's anything quite as good. Um, in general, um, carrot oil, carrot seed oil, which you can get on Amazon, has some level of natural um, UV protection in it, but not a lot and it's not something I would wear in heavy sun. Just something that maybe I'm not going out a lot that day, so I'll just wear it like around the house, plus it's a good moisturizer. But um, I really like the Physician's Formula Tinted Moisturizer Sunscreen. It has a low environmental impact. And um, there's a website called EWG. It's the Environmental Working Group. And they rate cosmetics by levels of danger in terms of if they have cancer-causing properties or if they have formaldehyde or parabens or whatever they have. And they rate them on a scale of like healthy to not healthy. And so um, it's Kedai if you can get access to environmental working group maybe um, to go on and check the brands that you're using and see what their ratings are. I think you'll be very, very surprised that a lot of the products that we put on our skin actually have a lot of problems. And we really should be more careful because our skin is our largest organ and it absorbs all the things we put onto it. And it's, you know, we want to put good things into our bodies and on our bodies. So um, that is the one thing that I still use because I think that it's important. Um, I don't usually Kiragil, um put sunscreen on the rest of my body, unless, you know, I'm sitting at the beach and, you know, my feet are exposed or whatever. But in general, I don't because I think we do need a certain level of vitamin D, but definitely on the tip of our noses, we should be extra careful um, and our face in general. Um, so, Elisheva, now that I've said my piece about that, what I wanted to say is that it's also important to consider um, the brands themselves and what they stand for in terms of environment and the products that they put into their uh, into their into their products, the uh, ingredients they put into their products. I um, use bare minerals. I don't go through a lot of it, and in in, so I actually buy it once in a while when I'm in America. I'm presently on, you know. A, bat, a batch that I've had for a while. I don't buy it very often. I don't use it very much, um, especially now that I've been doing the Flow Living, the, the Woman Code book that I've told you all about. My skin has been clearing up a lot, a lot, a lot, and I just need a lot less coverage. And I find that the tinted moisturizer sunscreen is really all I need most of the time. Um, 
I actually have my eyelashes dyed and <laughs> which is great because then I never wear mascara and I just look ready all the time like they're dyed and curled and, like it lasts for about three months and it's great and I don't have to think about it and I just get up and go and my eyelashes look really great so I try to uh, really um, minimize what I use on a day-to-day -day basis just because I want to save time I do wear lipstick um, I usually uh, wear a MAC lipstick um, the nice thing about MAC is that if you buy MAC products or even if you don't buy MAC products you can take back any brand and recycle six containers from any makeup at MAC and they'll give you um, a free lipstick <laughs> Um, and STOM, even if you don't bring back six containers, if you just have one, let's say, and you go in there, they'll recycle any brand containers from you. I actually think that the six containers have to be from MAC, but they'll recycle any brand. So if you bring back any six MAC products, like that at the end that you want to recycle, they'll give you a free lipstick. Um, and they'll take any other brand for recycling, but I would need to verify because I'm not exactly sure. But... If makeup is an essential for you, then try to pick makeups in, in packaging that can be recycled. Um, a lot of products can't be, so just take care. Um, but, you know, like I said, you could always bring them into MAC. I'm not sure exactly what they do with them, but try to buy anyways from brands that have a social or an eco-conscience because they're going to be more responsible. Um... Origins has a lot of uh, low impact ingredients. Uh, MAC sometimes has them. Um, I, like I said, I love Bare Minerals. Um, for me, that's enough coverage. Uh, so it just sort of depends on what you like. I find Bare Minerals last me a really, really long time. I don't like the heavy makeup look. Um, yeah, I hope that that helps Elisheva. If it doesn't, you know how to reach me. Um, Okay, this was a funny story. So because I had said last last time, I guess, um, about my parents asking me to take the stuff out of their house, um, a lady called to tell me that she still has things at her parents' house and her sister said to her, get them out, you've been married for nine years. And it hasn't been gone through and she just thinks that all of it will go in the garbage and uh, that she doesn't actually need any of it because it's been nine years and she hasn't even thought to go to it or look at it or, you know, need it. So um, I don't know your name because you didn't leave it, but uh, <laughs> please let me know when you do go through it um, and let me know how much of it you throw away. I'm interested to know. Okay, Simi from Lakewood called and said she's doing 2017 and 2017. She's racing to the finish, and I didn't know the answer to this, so I'm hoping, ladies in Lakewood, you can call and leave me some voicemails, and I'll, I'll put it up next week. Um, Bezra Deshem, is there anywhere in Lakewood to give toys or shoes? And Simi, I think you said mirrors, but I'm not 100% sure, so please clarify. Um, and ladies, please tell me where in Lakewood you could um donate toys and shoes just leave me a voicemail with the name address and phone number of the place okay Schiffer from Lakewood called and made a valid point to me about how Chazal tell us to she was commenting I'm sorry let me backtrack she was commenting on 
my assets uh, conversation from last week where I said, uh, basically, I sort of think that, I not sort of think, I think that in order to receive bracha, we have to make space for bracha and we should think about it in terms of total assets. But she actually had a great point, and this is, has to do with budgeting, is that Chazal tell us to live below our means because we never know how much Hashem has allotted us for the year. Um, and so this brings me to sort of a point that is not really my exp area of expertise, but I'll touch on it because it does belong in the organizational category, which is um, budgeting, being organized with our money, uh, how we have to live below our means, keep to a budget, and um, really appreciate that we don't know how much Hashem has allotted for us and that we could lose it at any minute. And that's true. But I, so I'm, I'm down with the budgeting and I'm down with the planning and I'm down with the living below our means. And it's not even, I don't think, living below our means, but not being wasteful, um, which is also really important. So for example, just because we have the money to go out and buy, you know, 300 dresses doesn't mean we should because not just because we might not have the money later or we might need the money later because Hashem hasn't allotted us as much this year, but also just because it's a waste of resources and I don't think that Hashem means for us to waste resources either um, or to spend money in that way. But also um, when we budget, we're taking the time to think about what we need on the most basic level and we're allowing X amount of dollars or shekels or pounds or whatever to sit there and be reserved for us. And then when we, I guess my point is, is yes, I agree we want to have uh, a plan and a budget and stick to the plan and the budget and we want the budget to be less than what we actually can afford so that we have money left over to spend. And I'm not saying that anybody should go out and spend way above their needs. But what I am saying is I like the idea of saying to Hashem, hey, here I am. I'm asking you for something. And I have the physical, the emotional, the mental, the spiritual space to accept it because I have cleared out the space for it so because we have less stuff and because we're focused on what we actually really need when we ask Hashem for something when we can and I think that that falls into the planning too and we can sit down and look at what we have and what we don't have and and really consider what we actually need it's a lot easier to go to Hashem and ask Hashem for those things. So for example, let's say our washing machine broke and we really need a new one. And, you know, maybe it's just not in the budget this year. Maybe it, it you know, we just don't have enough money. If we say, okay, our washing machine broke, we did our best to fix it. Now we've cleared it out and we have made the physical space. Hashem, please help us get a new washing machine. If we make the physical space, if we remove it, not only are we making the physical space, but actually the parts of the washing machine are worth something too. So getting it out of the house 
getting it out of our space means that we're freeing up part of our total assets to allow for this new bracha to come in. So it's not just the monetary aspect that the asset contains, it's also the physical space that the asset takes up. It's the spiritual space that the aspect takes up. We're worrying about the washing machine. When we can say, I don't need to worry about this anymore. Hashem is giving it to us. It's a lot easier for us to go to Hashem saying, I don't believe I should get a free gift, but could you give me one anyways? And that's like a really important distinction, I think, between what Shifra's saying and what I'm saying is that I agree. I'm not saying that they negate each other, they go together, but I think the point, Shifra, is a little bit different in that, yes, it's true, we shouldn't live above our means. And I'm not saying that I'm never guilty of, of that, I'm just saying it's a good goal to practice. We should try to live below our means and not always indulge ourselves and get everything that we want. And that too comes from a zero waste perspective is that we shouldn't, from the waste perspective, we shouldn't indulge ourselves all the time because it's wasteful. Um, but, but it's more than just the living within our means. It has to do with the total that we carry for ourselves. So maybe Schiffer's example to me was with lip balms and carrots. So let's say I want to get a lip balm or even I need a lip balm. I have to prioritize if I only have a certain amount of money, if I have enough money to buy lip balm or if it's more important that I actually buy carrots. And if I don't have enough money to buy both, then I have to wait till the next week or I have to find some other solution for the lip balm. Maybe I can use olive oil, which I already have. But the point is, is that when we can say like, yes, it's true, I'm budgeting here, but look, Hashem, this is something that I really need and I have the space to accept it. My assets aren't taking over. I actually have the room. Then Hashem can give it to us. So while I hear what you're saying, it's not exactly um, the same um, comparison, but it is a valid point and it's worthwhile to mention that we should really be living below our means and part of being organized and being zero waste and being minimalist and um, being a good Jew, I think even is living below our means. We don't have to live in poverty, but we don't have to indulge every um, aspect of um, consumerism. Now, I mean, Jewish tradition is full of examples of both extremes. We have uh, extremes, you know, of Rabbanim who live in extreme poverty, too many to even name. I mean, that's the norm, is that most great um, tell me, um, Rabbanim live in poverty. And then we have people like Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi who lived in such amazing grandeur that like the servants used to lay clothes on the floor for him to walk on and his and people would just come and pick them up and you know use them and that would be his way of you know giving sadaka and i'm not making a commentary on if rabbi huda hanasi is is the right way to live or if uh you know rabbi sorol salanter is the right way to live that's not what i'm making a commentary on but what i'm making what i do want to say is that throughout jewish history living at a um, modest level has always been 
in my opinion, the not expected, but the like preferred method of living. It's okay to have nice things. It's okay to have beautiful things. It's okay to have expensive things, but still to live within one's means and, um, you know, not be show-offy. So great. If you want to have a beautiful, okay, let's talk about in terms of quality. Now, you know that I always say buy the best quality you can afford. Um, there's a really great brand of sofas that I love called, they're made by Natuzzi. It's an Italian brand. They have beautiful leather. Um, I've never owned one. It's, it's sort of a dream for me. Um, I walk by the Natuzzi store in Haifa and I think that it's so beautiful and I love looking at it. Um, and then there's, let's say something like Bob's Furniture, both places you can get a leather sofa. The Natuzzi sofa is going to last you a heck of a lot longer than, than the one at Bob's Furniture because the quality that goes into making the one for Natuzzi is a lot greater. Mater the materials are a better quality. The craftsmanship is of better quality. They're not trying to get out quick and fast. They're trying to get out the best product they can and they don't care if it takes a little bit longer. And so I'm not saying don't buy the Natuzzi, buy the Bob's Furniture. And I'm not even saying buy the one in the middle. I'm saying it's okay if you want to buy the best one that you want to buy or that you can afford. As long as you realize that you can still live modestly even if you are buying the best. And you can still live in a way where your home which should be your palace, is beautiful and organized and together, but it doesn't have to be the best of ever, like so fancy that it's a museum. It doesn't have to be that way. It has to be, I really believe the home has to be the place where everybody feels comfortable. If you have to, you know, okay, there are lots of people who take off their shoes they have rules, you know, they're a shoe-free house because it keeps the dirt down. That I 100% agree. It does minimize dirt and dust if you don't wear your shoes in the house. That being said, that's different than always, than the mother who's always saying, don't sit there, don't sit there, that's too precious, don't touch that. That doesn't seem like a way that we should live. And we don't, I mean, I personally don't want to yell that at my kids all the time. I want to teach them to handle my things with care. But also, I want them to understand that, like, it's just a thing and they're a person and people come first and then things come. And so, I'm sorry that I took a little diversion here. <laughs> but basically, I, I think that living within your means doesn't necessarily have to mean that you don't buy yourself beautiful, good quality things. It just means that you live on a budget. So maybe the Natuzzi sofa is a little bit too expensive for me to buy, you know, right this minute. But in three months, I could actually afford to buy it all in full and still have money left over, then that's the good time to buy it because I've budgeted and I've seen and I've made sure that I'm not overspending. So Shifra, I see your point, um, but I think the two points are different, although equally important. Um, okay, so Miriam called and says she wants to take my class, but she has no access to email. So like I said, Miriam, um, Let's find a way so that we can do the challenge on a phone line, okay? 
Um, if you know anything, please uh, send me a, leave me a voicemail. She also said that she swaps toys with her neighbor sometimes, but it's really hard for her to get rid of toys uh, because, you know, kids take play with things at different stages. And that's true. I agree 100% that kids play with things in stages. So um, last week I had a client and she had a first grader and a little boy who I believe he was four and a baby. And I asked her, I said, you know, do you want to have more kids? And she said yes. And even though she said yes, um, we still cleaned out about half the toys in the room because there were so many toys that were broken or that were just not good quality toys to begin with, or they just didn't work right. So for example, she had so many puzzles. The puzzles were so hard, even we were having trouble fitting in some of the pieces. Out they went, because we know that later on, some other grandparent is gonna buy something else, because that's how grandparents show their love so much of the time. So we know that somebody is gonna, you know, show their love that way and it just we know that even if we had she knew that even if she has more babies god willing the things that she need her baby will always have and that for her was enough that the kids that she has now are not playing with what they have because they can't see because there's too much stuff that they don't want and they don't like and now they could see, now the kids know what they have and it was worthwhile to give away the toys that nobody really wanted or that weren't very good because now the kids have a clear path to use, you know, what they need to use. And this is the thing I think we should remember, um, especially when it comes to toys, is that it's really great that we want to have more children. Um, and Hashem might even grant us the bracha of giving us more children. But that being said, we don't know when those children will come. We don't even know if they will come. And I think by having stuff that we're saving for potential children, perhaps, um, we're taking away from the experience that our present children are having, that our actual children are having. And so when we have less stuff for our kids to play with, um, it's actually easier for them to play. Studies show that kids who have less toys are actually more imaginative than kids who have more toys. And you can tell me if you think that's true based on your experiences, I would like to know, but um, I actually see that it uh, works more that the less that they have, the more imaginative they become. They are looking around. They're looking to see how they can make regular objects into toys and how they can, you know, experiment and move things around. And it's really just, I think, a really good experience for kids to just have the toys that they really need that are age-appropriate for them and not have too much and not have too little. Of course, if you have a larger spread range of toys then that becomes more of a problem having six kids is different you know six kids under 10 is different than having you know three kids under 10 but um nevertheless i don't think that it's bad to restrict the number of toys that our kids have um so miriam i hope um 
that answers your question. Um, okay, I'm going to do one more question for today, even though I have a few others. I'll try to catch up next week. Bezra Hashem. Um, okay. I think her name was Hindi who called me. I wasn't sure. It wasn't so easy to hear her. And I hope I'm answering your question. But um, she says she loves hearing me and it makes her happy and relaxed. And that she started decluttering and it takes her forever. And she doesn't have the time. And she wants it to be finished in one day. And I want to tell you that this is a common feeling. A lot of people want to have it. But I'll give you an example. Um... My people always say to me, or this is a refrain that I've heard oftentimes in my life. I've told you that I'm not uh, so slim and that's okay with me. I feel comfortable with my body and where I'm at, but I do want to lose weight. But what the common refrain that I've always heard is it didn't only take you one week or two weeks or 10 weeks or 30 weeks or 52 weeks or whatever to put the weight on it took you a long time to put the weight on and it's going to take you time to get it off and it's the same thing with organization it didn't take us one week or 10 weeks or 30 weeks or 52 weeks or six years to to get you know well not six years it might have taken six years but it takes time to get into the chaos clutter balagan state it's gonna take us time to get out of it and so i want to give sort of a guideline of how long you can expect to spend on each um, area in your home. Now, it's totally going to depend on the size of your home and how much stuff you actually have. So your level of hoarding makes a difference. But um, basically, a standard woman's closet takes between four and six hours. A child's closet takes about two hours depending on the size again, or child's room can take anywhere between two and five hours. And again, it depends on if they are playing in their room or what exactly they're doing. Um, a playroom, a small playroom, a playroom in the size of a average bedroom, you know, that can fit a twin size bed and a desk and a closet. That size, I guess that's a five by seven room. That typically takes about four to six hours, depending on how fast you go and how many people are working. A kitchen takes about six hours. Um, bathrooms take about two hours. Uh, other closets can take anywhere from two to six hours, depending on what's in them. Basements could take a few days. It just takes time. And it's not reasonable to expect to be able to do your whole house in one day. And so what I suggest is to take an hour every day and really sit down and do the work. And it's not gonna be easy, but you have to do it and you have to allot the time. And if you have a four hour span where you can do something, please do it. And if you don't, then don't do it because you're gonna start and you won't be able to finish. Okay, ladies, I have to wrap up for today. Um, so I'll remind you as always, if you want to email me, you can Rebecca, R-E-B-E-K-A-H at balaganbegone.com. Or you can leave me a voicemail here on the Akara Sabayas hotline. Uh, or you can, I don't know, write me a, uh, message in the sky. 
<laughs> uh, send smoke signals, send a carrier pigeon. I will answer in whatever medium I get. Um, please uh, let me know if you have any questions. If I didn't get to your question this week, um, I still have some that I will get to Bezrat Hashem next week. Um, and I really appreciate you listening and taking the time to call me and letting me know where your pain points are. And I wish you all a good week. And I wish for you to remember and repeat to yourself over and over and over again until you actually believe it. Hashem keeps me organized. So ladies, until next week, this is Rebecca Saltzman and good luck on your journey to organization.